0: This is part two of the interview with Matt. If you have not yet listened to part one, I highly recommend it. In part one, we talked about the five principles of diet, which anyone can follow, the diet quality score app, supplements, and Matt's new book called Running the Dream. Moving on, uh, let's just talk a little bit quickly before we let you go on the 80-20 principles. 80-20, running, triathlon, you have written you know, two books in that, your own. Website is eighty twenty endurance. Uh, just uh, take us through how did you research the the topic, and then uh, how, how you know what did you conclude?
1: Right. So you know um, if you canvassed uh, a, a large number of running coaches and asked each of them the same question, what is the most common training mistake that runners make? And you could also ask triathlon coaches, um, cycling coaches, the same question. I think a plurality of the of the coaches would answer doing their easy runs too fast. Um, So I call it the moderate intensity rut. Um, You know, I think something that everyone understands is that you don't always you don't always want to do every run at the same speed. There are different types of runs and there's times when you want to run slow, times when you want to run at a moderate pace and times when you want want to run fast. The question is, you know, the sixty thousand dollar question, as we say, is. What's the right balance, right? You know, you got to do some slow, some moderate, and some hard. What is the optimal way to balance those three general intensity levels? Elite runners for decades now have been doing most of their training at low intensity. And anyone like me who runs at a high level in high school, in you know, secondary school, and, and perhaps in college... They, they learn the same approach because it, it is a universal best practice at the higher levels of the sport. But most, most, you know, most runners who, you know, only start as adults, um, who, you know, start off in more of the recreational realm, they, they don't train that way and they're never really taught to train that way. And they end up doing most of their training at moderate intensity. Whereas the, you know, the, the more competitive runners do most of their training at low intensity. Um, and so this is something that coaches have known for a long time. Uh, but then in, in the early 2000s, an American uh, exercise physiologist who actually is based in Norway, Steven Seiler, he, he rigorously studied the training, how, how the best endurance athletes in the world actually train. You know, he put numbers on it. And again, not just runners, but the whole family of endurance sports all over the world. Um, he did some of his own research, but he also looked at studies by other Uh, researchers. And what he found consistently was that elite endurance athletes do about 80% of their training at low intensity and 20% at moderate to high intensity. And of course, that's very interesting, right? Because historical data shows that that wasn't always the case. So there was, biologists refer to the phenomenon as convergent evolution. It's when, when nature finds an optimal solution to some problem, it tends to pop up in more than one place and then eventually take over. Uh, if it truly works better than than anything else. And that seems to have been what happened in endurance sports is that in, in the beginning, nobody knew the right way to train. But through generations of collective trial and error, athletes and their coaches figured out that this 80-20 intensity balance appears to be optimal. Then the, the obvious question, and you asked a parallel version of it in relation to diet. Well, OK, just because it works for the elites, that, does that mean it also works for uh, you know, runners with, without the same genes or who don't train as much. So there, there have been prospective studies done. The ones with elites are observational because the elites don't want you to mess with how they train. So they're, 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 with those studies, they're, they're just observing what they do naturally. With uh, recreational athletes, they've done prospective studies where they actually, they'll have one group train the way most of us do, which is more of a 50-50 intensity balance, and another group train like the elites an 80-20 intensity balance. And what they found is that even runners who only, you know, very average runners who train maybe 50 kilometers, run 50 kilometers per week on average, even they improve the most when they do an 80-20 intensity balance versus more, more moderate intensity training.
0: So eighty twenty, do you apply it on, on the basis of time or number of sessions? How do you measure it?
1: Yeah, that's, um, yeah. So the devil's in the details, as they say in, uh, because those are nice round numbers. But when you look very closely, it breaks down a little bit. For example, in cross country skiing and rowing, it's more of of a session basis. So eight out of every 10 training sessions is focused on low intensity. In running, it really is more of a time basis. So if you uh, you look at the top uh, Kenyan runners or the top American runners, they're spending about, if they run 12, if they run 10 hours in a week, they spend eight hours at low intensity, two hours at moderate to high intensity. So for running, it really is a a time basis.
0: Understood. And uh, what is the, what is your, do you have a favorite parameter when you to measure the ease? Like, is it heart rate based off of late like power has taken off a lot in running power or You just depend on rate of perceived exertion. Do you have any favorite uh, parameter for this?
1: You know, as a a, with myself, just because I I started running when I was 11 years old. So, you know, back then it was just pace. That's all there was. So pace is in my blood. You know, I think in terms of pace and also, you know, you race on the clock. So pace is important Um, and it's it's really all I use for myself. But as a coach, I'm actually a very big fan of power. Uh, power is really the most reliable uh, metric um, because, you know, even pace can be affected by things like hills or, or, or even a headwind. Right. Um, whereas power, you know, as I like to say, a watt is a watt is a watt. Um, so when I'm coaching other athletes, I just find um, power extremely useful. Heart rate I think is, is most useful for getting athletes to slow down when they're doing a run that's supposed to be at low intensity and they want to creep into moderate intensity, heart rate is useful for that. But heart rate is, it's influenced by so many factors. Uh, The example I always give is, um, you know, you could go to an amusement park and ride a roller coaster and you will max out your heart rate on that roller coaster ride, even though you're just sitting. That doesn't mean you just had a great workout. (laughs) All right. So, you see, you see runners get themselves into the trouble when they they view their heart rate monitor as some kind of oracle, infallible oracle, and it's really not. So heart rate is useful for getting people to slow down, but it has its limitations. So I am a big fan
0: of power. Okay, and typically, what's the threshold you use? Uh, let's say if you if it's heart rate, uh, what 75 percent, 80 percent of max heart rate below that is easy. How how do you use uh, the Yeah. The
1: critical threshold is known as the first ventilatory threshold. And um, in in heart rate terms, it does tend to fall around, you know, 77% of maximum heart rate. Um, The the trouble is um, most people don't know what their maximum heart rate is. And it, it varies quite a bit between individuals and the formulas are, they're supposed to be one size fits all. They're completely unreliable. So if you want to to estimate your ventilatory threshold as a percentage of your maximum heart rate, you actually need to determine what your maximum heart rate is. You know, there are lots of other methods you can use. You know, I have a calculator on my website. Um, It doesn't strictly determine your ventilatory threshold per se, but it it does calculate appropriate training zones. So there are a variety of ways you can do it. You can do a field test, like a 30 minute time trial or you could do, you could just put in a recent race result if you want to do pace-based zones. Um, so it, it's a little, you, you know, you, you can't, you have to do some sort of testing, like, because you, you need some way to measure, it. you know, it's either pace, perceived effort, power, or heart rate. And then, like, you know, your zones are not my zones. You can't just start tomorrow necessarily and, uh, and do the 80-20 thing.
0: And uh, I have a listener question from Yash. Uh, basically, he wants to know how to distribute uh, within the 20%. Is it all uh, at zone four, zone five, high intensity, or is it all right to have a little bit of moderate intensity, uh, let's say threshold runs or things like that? Uh, how do you think about it?
1: Yeah, that's a good
0: question because that that 20% does
1: encompass both moderate and high intensity, and and they're really not the same. Um, You know, for a while you heard a lot, especially in exercise science circles, about um, what they call polarized training. And that's where you sort of treat moderate intensity as toxic and you avoid it. You know, that's where most runners spend most of their time. And there are some scientists and a few coaches who believe that you should do 80% Eighty percent at low intensity, and then almost everything else at, at high intensity, and kind of avoid that moderate realm. The, the problem with that is that for most of us, like unless you you run you know the mile or the 800 meters on the track, moderate intensity is where we we race. <laughs> I mean, most rate like if you run half marathons, marathons, even 10ks, uh, that's you're probably going to be spending a lot of time within the race at moderate intensity. It doesn't make any sense to have that be the only moderate intensity running you ever do. And there has been run, some research showing, as a matter of fact, that, um, uh, for example, iron iron distance uh, triathletes uh, they they perform better in races if they do if if they spend an adequate amount of time at moderate intensity. So you know if, if you're focused on very short events, if you're if you go up to the say five k as a runner and no further more of the 20% should be at high intensity because you're racing at high intensity. If you're, um, um, if you're marathon focused or, or an ultra marathon runner, more of the 20% should be at moderate intensity, but it can also fluctuate to, over the course of a training cycle. You, you generally want to be your most race. You want your most race specific work to fall closest to a race. So say for example, you're training for a marathon High intensity is great, but you'll probably want to do your hardest high intensity workouts 14 to 10 weeks before the race. And then, you know, when you get to less than 10 weeks before the race, shift a little bit more toward moderate intensity uh, to to get specifically prepared to race a marathon.
0: Uh, and and do you you don't recommend to your athletes using rate of persevered exertion uh, as a method to judge how whether you are running easy or training easy? I, I do. Uh,
1: I I think it's absolutely critical because ultimately your your limits are determined by perceived effort. You can't run faster than you feel you can run. <laughs> so so that's really important. Like when you race, if if your goal is to get to the finish line in the least amount of time possible. There's no device, no formula, no calculation that can tell you how to do that. You know, some people wish it were that easy. You know, just, they they want their watch to just tell them, speed up, slow down. But it's, you have to race by feel. Um, So, and also just simple things like if you're doing a set of intervals, if you're doing, you know, I don't know, uh, eight times 1K at 10K pace, When you start off that first interval, you have to feel your way to the right pace, you know, whether you're using heart rate or pace or whatever, like you can't shut that off. Like you need to have a very reliable sense of pace. Um, And so I think that perception of effort is hugely important. If you look at things like now when when summer has arrived in in much of the world, northern hemisphere, um, you know, athletes who are used to training at a certain pace or power or heart rate for – Whatever easy runs, it's hot. They go outside and th- they they're like, oh, if I run that fast, I I feel terrible. Well, you need to know how to adjust, you know, because like you know, those your zones change based on circumstances. Um, so it's absolutely critical to have a a a well calibrated sense of, of effort. Um, and nobody starts off there. So you need to sort of. Experience helps, but also just being intentional about the process, really tuning into your perceived effort, and learning—you know—learning you know, learning to read your body is is very important.
0: Uh, Matt, I do a fun segment, a uh, short quiz with my uh, guests. Uh, so, if you are ready, we can just go through a set of five questions. Uh, this is on sports, food, what have you. Okay. Before we start the quiz, I want to let listeners know that all the resources being discussed here are included in the show notes. So do refer to those uh, links for further information. I also request all of you who are listening to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. Now to the quiz. All right. The first one, uh, which year was uh, triathlon included in the Olympics?
1: Uh, That would have been 2000 in Sydney. I remember it well.
0: Okay. Uh, There is a very commonly eaten fruit, which I'm sure all of us eat probably every single day, which is actually a herb. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is it a banana? It is a banana. Yeah, because apparently banana plants don't have wooden stems and hence technically it's a herb. Uh, What, according to Guinness Book of Records, is the hottest chili in the world? I will give you a hint. It comes from America.
1: Um, The hottest chili in the world. Uh, I don't know. That's the Carolina Reaper. Carolina Reaper. You know, I really like spicy food, so I'm going to have to find that.
0: <laughs> it is described as uh, the first bite is sweet and then molten lava. Oh, wow. <laughs> what are the events in a quadrathlon? Uh mm.
1: Swimming, bicycling, running, and canoeing?
0: That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. And the last question is there is a naturally occurring fruit water, which can be directly in- injected into the blood, especially, you know, like it's been used in World War II and uh, supplies of saline solutions ran out. Do you know what we are talking about? Did you say fruit water? Fruit water. Fruit water. Yeah.
1: Is it pomegranate?
0: No, coconut water. Uh, before uh, before we let you go, Matt, a couple of things. Uh, can you give a, uh, I mean, obviously your books and uh, other resources will be listed, but are there any other websites or blogs or YouTube channels, anything you recommend to our listeners that you follow, you get value from? Yeah, I mean,
1: there, there's a number of them, but you know, I mentioned Steven Seiler earlier, the exercise scientist. I am interviewing Dr. Seiler later. Fantastic. This week, well, this is, this is uh, apropos then. Uh, but he is, he has a YouTube channel that uh, he puts out okay. some really good content on. So if you go to YouTube and, and type in his name, Steven Seiler, um, uh, really good material there.
0: Uh, anything else comes
1: to your mind? Um, uh, Alex Hutchinson's uh, Sweat Science um, column. It's on it's on Outside Magazine's website, outsidemag.com. Uh, Alex Hutchinson, he wrote the book Endure which is very popular, Yes, excellent writer, really knows his science, uh, and he's he's a good follow too.
0: And if listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Uh, through
1: my personal website, which is mattfitzgerald.org. There's a, a contact form okay. there.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Matt. Uh, that was really, really insightful as always. I'm sure that his listeners will derive great value. And uh, maybe once the book is released in the coming months, maybe we can have a separate chat on the, the book. I must say that I quite enjoyed following the blog, the, the, the Running Bump blog, as well as the Final Surge uh, interview. So, yeah, I'm sure the book will be quite a success and wish you the very best. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to talk to you again sometime. Thank you very much to all the listeners. As I mentioned, all the resources discussed here are included in the show notes. So do refer to those links for further information. You can reach out to me on my social media handles, which are Running and Fitness with Raj on both Instagram and Facebook. And you can also email me on runningandfitnesswithraj@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show. I also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. We will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice. Stay safe, stay healthy, and till the next show, goodbye.